Yeah. No shame in walkthroughs. Your time is valuable. That's what I tell myself. It totally is. <laughs> Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Sienna Aguayo. Sienna, welcome. Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. Who are you, Sienna? <laughs> um, so I'm a software engineer at Indiegogo. I started there as a mobile engineer working on iOS and then Android and now I'm working on our web stack, which is mostly Rails and Angular. Um, I got my programming start at a boot camp for women in San Francisco called Hackbright Academy, which I always like to give a shout out to because that's awesome. That is awesome. Will you tell me more about it? Yeah, um, it's a full-time boot camp, um, 10, 12 weeks. And the first half is dedicated to learning computer science fundamentals and a, kind of a basic web stack. And then for the second half, you work on a personal project and, you know, you're, you're guided through that by the staff. Um, and then hopefully if your goal is to get a job as a full-time software engineer, then you do that, which is what I did. So That's amazing. Do they offer um, like job placement help? Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of the culmination of the program is uh, called Career Day. And they have partner companies come visit and it's sort of like a speed dating sort of situation <laughs> where you like talk to a company for like seven minutes and then they rotate around and, and talk to everybody else. Um, and then hopefully out of that, you get a couple job interviews or at least like an idea of what you kind of want to look for from a tech company. Um, yeah. And they help you through like interviewing and, and all that stuff. That sounds really intense. It is intense. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to learn in a very short amount of time. Um, but the community is really supportive. I think that's part of what makes it so successful um, is, is everyone's really got your back and, and really wants you to succeed. So did you start at Indiegogo right after Hackbrite or did you have another job or two in between? No, I, I went straight to Indiegogo. They were a, a hiring partner, so they actually came to career day and... Eventually, <laughs> I got a job with them. It didn't take too long, but how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was a really great life decision for me. Like it totally transformed my my life, and and I feel awesome about it. May I ask what you did before uh, before you attended Hackbrite? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been working in Silicon Valley for about two and a half years before that at a tech company in the peninsula. Um, and I was doing project management, which is not the same as product management. Um, so I was working with customers and sort of helping them, uh, with, uh, it was customer service software. So sort of helping them, um, use our product most effectively to their business needs. Um, and along with that came a little bit of front end web development. And that was the part that I really liked all the business stuff wasn't really floating my boat at the time. Um, so I, I was like, that. how can I, how can I go just do this part and build things instead? And now that's what I do. So that's awesome. That's amazing. That's so cool. Like, <laughs> um, I'm trying, so I'm a writer, a technical writer in the, in the tech industry, but cool. um, I'm trying to pivot into a space of iOS development. Oh, nice. And I wish that I could, so I'm using Treehouse. Um, and mm -hmm. then my husband is an iOS developer. So Very like, handy. yeah, like 
my my partner is also an iOS developer, and when I started, I was doing iOS, and I was like, "Great, I've got a built-in right <laughs> built-in tutor right at home." Right? So that's very handy. If nothing else, like a rubber ducky to bounce ideas and and thoughts of, off of, like, oh for sure, is this is this the way I should do that? Like, <laughs> am I crazy or yeah, does right. this just not work? Do you have other ideas? It's <laughs> it's so cool, but um, but I kind of wish I'm I'm more deadline driven than I wish I was, and mm-hmm. so like I wish that I had the accountability of, of a classroom, mm. you know, with like assignments and, you know, you have to learn this or you're going to be left behind. Yeah. Um, have you heard of Big Nerd Ranch? I have actually. I know some people who have gone there. That seems so cool. <laughs> I know. Um, so my friend Jean McDonald um, is a past guest. And um, she is the founder of App Camp for Girls. Oh, awesome. Um, so you know of it? Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, I, I was actually there last week, um, which is why I couldn't record sooner. Right. Um, so she, um, she got this idea to start App Camp for Girls, which for people who don't know, basically in five days, there are a dozen girls who come in, learn how to code, and they write a basic app in five days it's really intense but awesome so she got the idea for it and then she went to the big nerd ranch um through their ios development track and kind of got the basics down um so that she could you know be knowledgeable and then um then get rolling with everything so yeah it sounds amazing yeah it does sound like a lot of fun yeah so tell me about working at indiegogo sure um where to start? I mean, I, I think I've had a kind of a unique experience where I've like changed stacks a bunch. My my joke up until this like July ish was that I've changed stacks completely every six months. Um, I finally have managed to stay on a stack for longer than six months now, so my joke doesn't quite work anymore. Um, but that's been cool for me because you know, as a junior, I've gotten to see sort of a, a sampling of a bunch of different languages and frameworks um, and development environments. So that's been really cool. Um, and you know, everyone there is very mission driven and and passionate and that's really what I was looking for when I was looking to join somewhere full time, uh, was people I really wanted to surround myself by for various reasons. So it's awesome. I really, I really love it. So you've done a lot of different things there. Um, is, is front end web development still the stuff that you like doing or do you kind of love all of it for different reasons? I mean, before I did uh, Hackbrite, even I was, you know, since I had had the front end experience, um, I, I felt like I would probably keep doing that or, or, or like doing that the most. Um, I still like it the most, but uh, especially doing the the native mobile stuff sort of gave me a, a better appreciation for like full stack. Mobile is kind of interesting because like some people don't consider like any of mobile to be backend because you're on, you know, it's the client, but there's definitely an element like of data storage and, and that sort of layer that I would consider more backendy. Um, so I think that helped to give me a better appreciation. Um, I'm still not the biggest fan of rails. I'm really trying to get over <laughs> that. Um, so I, I do like front end more, but I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. And then, you know, so you also do some public speaking, right? Yeah, I'm trying to ramp up my my conference circuit like skills. 
And how's that going? It's going all right. Um, I just gave my first technical talk earlier this year at DroidCon Montreal, um, which was a pretty neat experience. Um, it was sort of apropos of nothing. I just kind of decided this year I was going to try to submit some stuff to conferences and see what happened. Uh, so I, I was very happy my proposal was accepted. And um, and yeah, then I submitted again to DroidCon NYC, which I'm going to this week. So that's exciting. That's super exciting. And uh, I might have my eyes set on some international conferences next. I guess Montreal is technically international, but like, you know, not in North America. <laughs> I'm really jealous. I have several friends in Montreal and I keep looking for an excuse to go up there. Oh yeah. It's a great city. Yeah. So I've heard. So what, what do you speak about? I mean, it's DroidCon, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's yep. an inherent <laughs> subject matter there, but. Yeah. So far it's been, it's been Android conferences. Um, at Montreal, I spoke about Realm, which is a fairly new mobile database. It's compatible with iOS, too. You should check it out. Um, and it's sort of like a like a NoSQL kind of data store. Ooh, that I has like the this, sound of that. Yeah, that has this really easy-to-use API um, that's you know easier to use than Core Data on iOS or um, SQLite on Android. And it was just this cool thing I was exploring in a side project um, where I was trying to build a Pokedex app for Android. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and my coworker mentioned this database technology to me that I might have an easier time with it if I used that instead of SQLite. Uh, so I started to check it out and then I was, I thought, well, maybe, maybe this could be my first tech conference proposal is about, you know, this thing I'm checking out cause it's, it was pretty new. It's still pretty new, but definitely very new at the time. So that's how that happened. <laughs> I I submitted a talk to AltConf this year, mm, mm -hmm. um, and it was accepted. But I had a really really hard time deciding what to talk about and how to present it. Yeah. Um. How how did you go about that? I'm looking for tips here. Yeah, I mean, I kind of am too. I feel like the first one was sort of an accident that just sort of was like, oh, well, I'm already doing this thing. Um. So maybe I guess the lesson there is is look in unexpected places, perhaps. Um, you know, my side project wasn't that serious, but I still managed to turn a, a conference talk out of it. Um, and then the one I'm doing this week is about localization and internationalization, um, which is not a topic I had really considered uh, maybe deserving of a conference talk. But talking to some other women who do Android, a lot of them were really interested in that topic, um, I think, because they haven't quite di uh, like dove, dived, dove. <laughs> Dived, I haven't quite I gotten think. into it yet. There we go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, well, I did that for the Indiegogo app and it, it wasn't so bad. Maybe I can help sort of weather the storm of people being frightened of localization because it's not actually that bad on Android. So, Yeah, I know that it's um, I don't think it's too bad on iOS either. Um, it's just kind of if you have to like crowdsource languages or that kind of thing, mm. it, it becomes a little harder. Right. Yeah. I'm not talking so much about that portion because that's kind of more in the business side of things. Like there's lots of services out there that can translate your apps for you. Um, it's going to be more focused on like, what can you as a developer do to prepare your app for that localized content? Um, and I did that, the Indiegogo iOS app too. And I think it's easier in a way on iOS to kind of shoot yourself in the foot with not preparing for that sort of thing. Um, Android kind of helps you, helps guide you a little bit more towards best practices when it comes to that kind of thing. So, 
it's just I think it's just a good thing for people to be aware of. Like you don't have to really get serious about it too early if you don't want to, but if you kind of do a little bit of cleanup along the way, then I think you'll be much happier when you finally choose to do it. So it kind of boils down to good coding practices. Yeah, exactly. It's all just separation of concerns anyway, which everyone should be on board with. So, <laughs> so why not? Well, that's really cool. Um, I'm glad that you've got the the chance to go speak in New York City. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think it should be fun. I don't go to New York really ever. So <laughs> the last time I was there was for the same conference last year. And that was the first time I've been to New York in like, uh, I don't know, five or six years. Yeah, I haven't been in nearly 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> been a while. So I found you through Yasmin Evian, who does mm -hmm. um, a podcast on Relay FM called Material, and she has another one. And I'm sorry, Yasmin, I don't listen to that one. I don't know what it's called. Um, oh, I didn't know she had another one. I've been listening to Material and really enjoying it. I have too, and I'm like, I'm, I'm very firmly ensconced in, um, in the iOS world. So it's mm -hmm. really nice to have that other perspective, so yeah. that I'm not completely ignorant of <laughs> what's going on in that space. Um, but I think she suggested that we get in touch because of the I look like an engineer hashtag on Twitter. Yeah. Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I just saw this hashtag going around. Um, actually, I, I had heard about it for the first time from Michelle Glauser, who is running the Indiegogo campaign and, and knows Isis. Um, I don't actually know how to pronounce her last name, so I'm not going to attempt to butcher it. Um, but Isis was the woman who was in in the ads who works for one login, who was getting all this harassment and posted the blog post. Um, you may have seen my face on Bart and then started the Twitter hashtag. Um, so she's friends with Michelle Glasser, who is a, a Hackbright alumna. And Michelle sent out an email to the Hackbright list being like, hey, there's this hashtag campaign going on. It'd be great if you could you know, post your picture and participate. Um, so I did that. And, you know, that that could have been that. But then um, it turned out that Michelle was interested in running a campaign to put up a billboard, um, you know, with all these engineers who look incredibly diverse and sort of help spread this message. And I said, well, you know, I work for Indiegogo. I could definitely help you out with running the campaign, give you some tips. Um, it always helps to have someone on the inside, mm -hmm. you know, in that sort of situation. So I was really glad to get involved that way. Um, campaigns doing really well. We've raised over $19,000. Um, we're still short of our goal of $35,000. So I think, you know, we'll probably still be campaigning hard until the end. The campaign ends in 11 days and today's the 24th. So that's some math that I'm not going to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's not that much time left. Uh, Maybe maybe later you can edit in some like robot voice that's like September something. September third, um, I think, if I counted <laughs> okay. correctly. Okay, good. Thank you. September third. Third or fourth. Um, Sorry, people. Third okay, or fourth. September fourth. September fourth. <laughs> so there's still time. You we've got some cool perks. There's socks and t shirts and we've got the the new logo up there now, which looks really awesome. I'm really excited about. But yeah, so that that's kind of how I got involved. But um really Michelle is doing is doing the hard work and running a campaign is really a lot of work. So I have a lot of respect for people who do that because I think people go in not really realizing it's going to be a lot of work, but it's really a lot of work. 
Yeah, I don't think I realized it either until recently when I helped with the App Camp for Girls campaign. And it was just like, you know, oh, wow. It, you know, and I was just kind of helping promote it. I wasn't running it by any means. Right. Um. So, yeah, but it's 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 intense. Um. I think people just are like, well, I'll just put this up and, and people you know, will just give me money. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but you actually really you had to really get out there and and connect people to your campaign and yeah, it's a and then you got to then once your campaign's over, then you've got perks to fulfill probably and that's a whole another like supply issue, so yeah. It is a lot of work. And then coming up with the perks and and dollar amounts and all of that stuff is just just intense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of thought that that needs to go behind it. Um there's like whole agencies now that help people just run crowdfunding campaigns. Like that's what they do. <laughs> Which is interesting to me since that's, I don't know, in a way that feels kind of uh, like against the spirit of crowdfunding. Right. Yeah. Cause it's supposed to be like, you can just do it yourself. I mean, you totally can. You just got to have enough time set aside to kind of deal with everything that comes up. So what is your number one tip as, as someone who's helping with a campaign and someone who works at Indiegogo, what are like the top two or three things that, um, that people need to consider before they, they start a campaign or launch a campaign? Yeah. Um, actually I had the, the, the great fortune of meeting up with one of our campaign specialists to talk about the campaign. Cause you know, as an engineer, that's not something I really like have to think about too hard a lot of the time. Um, but I was really glad to meet up with her and talk about it. And, uh, one of my main takeaways from that was really to keep your community engaged. So I, I guess make sure you have enough time to, to be sending out updates, like at least twice a week, posting on social media, that kind of thing. Um, cause repeat contributors are, are very real, which I think people might not expect. Um, but it turns out if you, you know, you give to a campaign and then Later, they send out an update like, oh, we just added another new cool thing. You tell your friends, um, those people will come back oh. and they'll keep giving. Yeah, which is really interesting, I think. So, yeah, definitely take the time to reach out to your audience. And then did they tell you about mistakes that people make other than, you know, like, don't promote it and don't reach out to your audience, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it really boils down to, like, effort. Like, mm -hmm. if you're not going to put in the effort, then you're not going to see results. I guess something else that, that can help is if you, so we, on Indiegogo, we have a, a concept of a featured perk. Um, it's kind of the one at the top of the page that people will see first. Um, and you can try changing that around every once in a while to see it. So like sort of like your own A-B test to kind of see if that helps with contribution rates. That's kind of a, an interesting thing you can play around with. And we have cool analytics too. It's cool. I actually just like worked on completely rebuilding them. They still look mostly the same, but internally they're all Angular now, which is cool. <laughs> so I'm not really familiar with Angular. Will you tell me about it a little bit? I'm familiar sure. with, with iOS and Android development and Rails, but I don't really know a lot about Angular. Sure, totally. Um, Angular is a JavaScript framework. Um, it's kind of its own beast is how I like to describe it. Um, I came into Angular knowing knowing HTML and CSS and JavaScript all pretty well. And those are all the things that Angular is composed of, but Angular itself is not the most intuitive. And I think it kind of helps if you approach it just like its own unique thing that you're going to have to learn. Um, 
And so JavaScript frameworks help you uh, organize and architect your JavaScript in a way that um, kind of makes more sense at the end of the day. Like JavaScript is sort of, as a language, is sort of like this wild, wild west of, of wackiness. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of amazing to me that JavaScript is still like such a foundational part of the web because I don't know if you know anything about the history of JavaScript. I think this is really fascinating um, is that it was put together in like 11 days or something like that by one guy. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, which is fascinating. And like and they only call the JavaScript is like a marketing thing because Java was very hot at the time. It has nothing to do with Java whatsoever. <laughs> I never understood that either. Like, yeah, it never yeah, made sense. A lot of people are confused about that. Um, so, and then that kind of explains why it's such a mess. And like, there's all this weird, unexpected behavior in JavaScript that doesn't exist in other languages that were probably built in more than 11 days. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so the whole like JavaScript framework framework landscape, which includes Angular and React and tons of other stuff. Um, sort of exists to help mitigate that fact and and help you do some things that like and all, also everything like these frameworks can do is is possible with just plain JavaScript, but it's going to be a lot more code that you have to write. So the framework helps you like do cooler things faster in in a way that's more organized and readable and hopefully scalable. Also, I'm looking at um, AngularJS.org as you're talk- talking, and I'm like because I know HTML like fairly well um css not so much but um Mm -hmm. but i'm looking and i'm like i can read this oh for sure i can read a lot of this yeah 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 um yeah the i i like a lot about angular i didn't like it quite so much when i first started but i think once i got over the initial like hump Mm -hmm. now i'm like uh okay you know this actually makes a lot of sense um because you're just you're putting a lot of attributes on html elements that just sort of um, makes it very declarative and makes it kind of makes sense you can kind of see like what's going on wow this is really cool yeah i mean it is it's fun too um now when i try to work on projects that don't use angular or like don't use any javascript framework i'm like man this sucks i really (laughs) i really wish i had some angular this would be so easy to do in angular interesting but you know it's still easy to write bad code in angular like that doesn't save you from that I I think if someone comes up with something that saves anybody from writing bad code, like they, they'll be instantly rich. Like yeah, they'll they'll win all the awards. Yeah, and they'll be crowned grand supreme ruler for life or right. something. Although maybe that's what brings on the robotic apocalypse. So I don't know. <laughs> maybe not something we want to happen. Yeah, once machines can like write their own perfect code, then right? We'll be obsolete. <laughs> So yeah, Angular's pretty cool. I, I like it. Um, I keep telling people this joke about React because a, a lot of people keep telling me that React is really cool, um, but I'm I'm remaining willfully ignorant about it because uh, we made a really big commitment to Angular at Indiegogo, and um, that's not going to change anytime soon. So I kind of don't want to know <laughs> if like React is way way better. But uh, yeah, because then you'll regret. You'll be, yeah, because then I'll just start to resent Angular. But angry, I, at yeah. the moment, I like Angular, so I don't want to resent Angular. <laughs> So I haven't actually worked with Rails. I know about it conceptually. So what makes it different from Angular? Um, like is because you were talking about how you're kind of hitting your head up against the wall with it, um, with Rails. Um, is it just a, a difference in the way you think, or um, is Angular better thought out? Because I know Rails is kind of 
ever evolving. I mean, all languages yes, are, but it, it is. It evolves quickly. Um, that is very true. We're in the middle of a of trying to upgrade some parts of our Rails infrastructure, and like things since things just change so fast, it's really hard to do that. But uh, well, I guess to start with like some fundamental things, like Rails is a backend framework. Um, so like you're dealing with like your database and your data models, um, and like that's all in Ruby. Um, and then really Angular is, since it's a front-end framework, is much more concerned with the presentation um, and kind of manipulation of uh, the page. Um, you can certainly do that, like like render views and stuff with Rails. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need any JavaScript framework, really, if you don't want to. Um, and if you're a really conniving, you don't need any JavaScript. But people don't really make websites like that anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. They kind of just do different things. They're different parts of your web application. My, uh, my blog is all, it's a Jekyll framework. So, and it's like Ruby. Um, so I was mm-hmm. curious, but it's also super simple. Um, so I don't, um, I'm not doing anything fancy with it. And that's probably why I can get away with just, just Ruby. Like that's all I need right now. <laughs> yeah, well, totally. And I think that's that's totally valid. And you know, you sh- no one should make you feel bad about that. If you don't need a crazy framework, you don't need a crazy framework. You can just keep things simple. I think that there's a lot of value in that. And it's really easy to find things. Yeah, I think engineers like to think that they're really smart sometimes and, and just like over overcomplicate and over engineer things. And sometimes you really just don't need that. Like you don't need Angular, don't use Angular, it's fine. Or Rails. You don't need Rails, don't use Rails. Yeah, I think as as a people we tend to <laughs> complicate right. things a little bit. <laughs> totally. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was your fluffy black kitty cat who looks like oh, yeah. my fluffy. <laughs> I totally did a double take on your Twitter. I was like, "Wait, that looks just like my cat." So, are you are you a, a great lover of cats? Or? I I would say that that is true. Okay. I think I'm I'm comfortable describing myself that way. Yeah, um, I'm I'm definitely more of a cat person than a dog person. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> about my cat. Um, she's real cute. Her name is May. She's on the couch with uh. me. I, she's pretty new. Um, she's two years old, um, but I've only had her a couple months. So she's about that's about how old Raven is. But we've had oh, her okay. longer. Yeah, she's a cutie. She's not eating the new food I bought her, so I'm a little mad at her. But she'll get hungry, right? She'll eat it. Nah, cats are pretty good <laughs> at holding out. They're... I know, God, right? So we'll see how that goes, and we'll see how long it takes me to cave and go to the grocery store and buy her the food that she just had. But oh well. Kitties. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like some other, I, I've been so busy this week because with preparing for the conference, but yeah. like in other activities, I enjoy our knitting and obviously video games. I think I, I touched on Pokemon. I caught all the Pokemon this year. That was my other major accomplishment. <laughs> so I have my... never played at <laughs> okay. all. I have a 3DS. Oh, awesome. I do not have Pokemon. I love my 3DS. Um, the newer Pokemon games like X and Y or Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, I thought were really, really good and that they would be 
they're kind of different from like the the more pixely ones of of the past mm-hmm. um but i they i think they made them a little bit easier honestly so i think that they're a great intro to the franchise if if you're in, at all intrigued by it i am actually um, <laughs> and it's funny cuz i actually hate rpgs like i don't like turn-based battle systems or like having to grind a lot for experience like i hate all of those things but for some reason i love pokemon which has those things so that's really interesting cuz i played um I've tried Child of Light on the PS3. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. And I really loved the art style. Um, yeah. But it was that turn-based play, mm-hmm. and then um, Bravely Default on the 3DS. I tried, and I just can't. Oh, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that turn-based system. Yeah, I just get bored. And like, if you have a battle system where, like, in in some games they introduce like an autoplay mode, you know, so that you don't have to do it yourself. I'm like, that should be a sign to you that that is broken, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, mm-hmm. but especially in the new Pokemon games, I think they they manage to like time the story so that you actually don't ever really have to go grind and like just get more experience. I think they did a really good job with that in the newer games. So. I recommend them. I had a lot of fun playing them. Do you prefer, do you have a preference between the X and Y or um, Ruby and Sapphire? Um, I guess, I guess Sapphire, the Sapphire and Ruby remakes are just the tiniest bit newer. Mm -hmm. So that means they had a couple cool improvements. Um, They introduced this new feature in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire where like, normally the way a wild encounter works, if you're like, you know, going to look for Pokemon into battle or capture is you wander around in the wild grass and then like one will randomly like pop out at you and it'll be a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they added this thing in this game where they'll actually have a little like Pokemon sprite, like pop its like tail or something out of the grass and like wiggle around and stuff. And you can kind of tell like which one it is. Like if it's a Pikachu, it's like a cute little Pikachu tail uh-huh. popping up out of the grass and then you have to sneak up on it. And if you like run oh. at it, it'll it'll run away. And I thought that was really a, a cute twist on the like random pokemon battle thing so i liked that a lot so you're i was gonna say hunting but that sounds not <laughs> accurate i mean yeah you kind of are though because then you like capture them you know right. but they're your friends um <laughs> you send them into battle and you send them into battle um black and white was the the generation before the 3ds ones and that generation the the whole story arc was all about like the bad guy was actually like hey we should stop battling pokemon like this is not right we have like a moral obligation to stop doing this and it, it, it introduced this really interesting story element that's kind of kind of felt like had only really been glossed over before in the pokemon universe so that was also those were also good games interesting yeah i've always i i, I was a little mm, i was a little too old and a little too um rural Mm -hmm. um to really get into pokemon because you know like i know i have friends who are older than me who really got into it but where i grew up it was like oh you know things like that are for kids Mm -hmm. um like for for young kids not you know late middle school or late high school like i was um so i never i never really got into it and it always it sounded kind of weird to me, yes. you know, through that lens. I was like, so you capture little animals and then you like tame them 
and then you battle with them. And I was like, huh, that's yep. interesting. Yeah, I was like exactly the right age for it when it first came to the U.S. I was in like fourth or fifth grade and it was just all anyone could talk about. And I was just like full on Pokemania. I had the cards. I watched the TV show. Like it was so much fun. Um, and then I kind of tuned out for a couple of generations because I was like, oh, whatever. They added more. Like, I don't care. I just want to do the like original ones. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got a DS for the first time, that was actually the first game that I bought for it was Pokemon Diamond. And um, and then I bought them all ever since because they're still fun. And and this year I was like, God damn it, I'm an adult. I can catch all the Pokemon if I want to. And then I did. Okay, well, I might I might play. I might <laughs> I might give it a go because I you know I play World of Warcraft and you mm -hmm. know roll a hunter and tame pets. Like, how is that any different? Only sure, totally. It's not. It sounds totally totally the same thing. <laughs> and now they have battle pets, so it's like basically. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've played Pokemon in WoW. And people don't appreciate that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So are there other video games that you like? Um, I'm playing through Majora's Mask on the 3DS right now, Legend of Zelda, which I'm actually really enjoying. That was another one of those, like, God damn it, I'm an adult. I can beat these Legend of Zelda games <laughs> moment. Um, so I've been really enjoying that. I'm like, I'm on the, like, the water temple right now but i need to like just sit down with a walkthrough and do it because since i my i've decided that my time is valuable and i don't need to like feel smart or accomplished by doing it without a walkthrough and i kind of think that the, the like n64 zelda games are kind of impossible without walkthroughs anyway like you're never going to find all that stuff on your own unless you have like infinite time so yeah i <laughs> i got so i have the new 3ds that mm -hmm. i got in oh, awesome february i guess and um like, it's the first handheld console I have owned since I had a Game Boy Advance that I never played because I couldn't see the screen. Oh. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I actually bought A Link Between Worlds when I got my 3DS and I still haven't finished it because it just is like, I can't figure some of that out. Yeah. No shame in walkers. Your time is valuable. That's what I tell myself. It totally is. <laughs> I finally, I bought Grim Fandango when it was remastered. Oh, mm -hmm. And it is, again, like it doesn't make any sense to me. So I've, um, I haven't picked it up in a long time, but I figure like when I do, it will be, it will be with a walkthrough because. Yeah. Uh, even with a walkthrough, I've struggled. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you play Broken Age or did you like follow that story at all? No. That's um that's the same studio that did Grim Fandango, um, Double Fine. Mm -hmm. And they had like a big Kickstarter and they raised a bunch of money and they the, the game's finally done and they did this whole like documentary about the making of the game and, and all this stuff, trying to be like super transparent about it. It was really interesting. Um, but if you like adventure games, if you make it through Grim Fandango, <laughs> you should check it out. It may, it's been it's been a while and I haven't picked it up again, so I might just leave it for now and get something else because goodness knows I have a lot of games to play. <laughs> That's always the problem. Too many games to play. It really is a, I regret having a job sometimes. <laughs> it's good. It lets me buy games, but sure. Yeah. But then when do you play the game? Exactly. And then you do things like speak at conferences and spend all your weekend on your slides instead of playing video games. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. Man, adult man. <laughs> it's the worst. All this responsibility. Like, gosh. Mm -hmm. 
I spent my entire childhood waiting to be an adult. It was like, I get to do what I want. And no, not that way at all. <laughs> yeah, my, my joke to myself this weekend has been like, well, I guess I missed homework because I gave <laughs> myself homework by wanting to speak at conferences. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, man, it's really great not having homework ever. <laughs> but see, now you can appreciate that. Right, right. right. <laughs> get back to Majora's Mask. I'm hoping I get to play it like on the plane to New York or something. That'd be awesome. Um, I found, so when I got the 3DS, I was really excited for Street Pass. Oh, yeah. And then I realized I don't go anywhere. I live in Phoenix. I'm always in a car. We don't have like decent public transportation. So I was like, yes, I have to always have it with me when I travel, when I'm in an airport. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about Phoenix, but I might get like one or two me's in the Phoenix airport. It's sad. Yeah, Street Pass is really, really interesting to me. Um, I got super into it when I got my 3DS, and I'm, I'm still pretty into it, like, if I think I'm going to have the right opportunity. Um, but for me, it's, like, anime conventions. Like, that is, hands down, the best way to get Street Passes is when I'm surrounded by other, like, Japan nerds, because they're the ones who've got the 3DSs. Yeah. So that's awesome. Even in San Francisco, it's not that great. Like, uh, if I know I'm going to be hanging out a lot in, like, the touristy areas of town, like, I'll bring my 3DS with me sometimes. But it's not that great. Um, actually, in New York last year, I had kind of good good luck with it. Interesting. Yeah, PAX East was excellent. Yep, there you um, go. You got <laughs> to go to where the nerds are, and they've got, they've got their 3DSs. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Street Pass by Sienna and Elaine. The new podcast. Yes, this is great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I casually mentioned I'm a Japan nerd. Um, I uh, I majored in Japanese in college, so I did. I speak Japanese, um, and I like study it every day and stuff. So yeah, that's another thing. (laughs) So you um, you majored in it, and you've actually kept up with it. Yeah, (laughs) in my experience, that's not the case. Yeah, well, I decided it was really important to me. Um, and uh, well, actually, for a while after kind of leading up to me graduating from college, I was like, okay, I'm going to just go, I'm going to go all in with Japanese. I'm going to, I'm going to try to like become a translator or something, um, use it like professionally. So I was kind of going into my post college experience with that mindset, but I kind of didn't really have a great like plan. I kind of figured I'd get a job and like figure it out maybe figure out what kind of grad school I wanted to go to. Um, so right after graduating, I studied for the, uh, the JLPT, which is the Japanese language proficiency test, mm-hmm. um, which is the like standard for non-native speakers to like, you take this test and it basically will tell like potential employers or schools in Japan kind of where your, your skill level is at. Um, and there's five levels now. And I decided I was going to take the hardest one right after graduating. Cause I figured, you know, now is the time before I forget everything. It's I might fresh. as well just study really hard. Yeah. And so I took that like the December after graduating from college and I passed, it was, I squeaked by, but it's pass fail. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. It was a big accomplishment that I can't like brag about too often. So <laughs> I do like to bring it up. Um, yeah. And then I kind of, I had gotten into that habit of studying daily cause I was preparing for the JLPT. 
that I was just like, well, I should just not stop doing that. So I have like a deck of flashcards that I've carefully curated over the years that I do every day. It's like, you know, 10 minutes, but it, it helps a lot. That's really neat. Like I've known a lot of, I haven't known a lot of like foreign language majors, but I've known, you know, music majors and lit majors and, you know, people like that who, you know, just stopped writing or stopped playing their instrument. You know, they graduated and they were like, I never, I never want to think about it again. Um, so I think it's really neat that you still study and still at least, you know, like refresh your mind on vocabulary and that kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's really fun. And I like, I read novels and stuff in Japanese because that's kind of, I'm, my other major was like English literature. So when I got to marry those two things together and just read Japanese literature in Japanese, that was sort of like the pinnacle of, of what I wanted to achieve from my college studies. So that's a noble goal. Yeah. And then it's also, it's super fun to go visit Japan and, and I can talk to people and they're always like, whoa, your Japanese is really good. What's up with that? <laughs> I was going to ask if you had a chance to apply it by visiting or. Yeah, I, I did some study abroad there in Osaka, um, which was fun. I did an internship there after college through the Ohio, Saitama, something, something. Ohio and Saitama are like sister states. Okay. Which is funny. I went to college in Ohio kind of randomly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I've been back for vacation once, but I'm hoping to go again soon. I've been like five times total, so I feel like I feel pretty good about the number of times I've been to Japan at this point. I would love to go. It's fun. It's really fun. And like, you don't have to know Japanese. Like, certainly it helps, but like, you can totally get by without knowing any if you're just there for like vacation and have fun and stuff. So, do you think you might go back to maybe in the future pursuing something where you're a translator? Um, I don't know. I guess. I guess now the goal has shifted to maybe working as a software engineer in Japan um, just because that's something I've just wanted to do with my life. And now I've got this other career path that I'm on. Um, it is, it is tricky though, for a number of reasons like visa and like cultural differences with like the way companies work and the way startups work. Um, but like things are, are changing and, and I'm really interested in kind of keeping my eye on that market in the next couple of years to see if I can just maybe go hang out for a year or two. I wonder if you could get like an engineering job at Nintendo USA and transfer yeah. to Japan. That'd like, be so cool. If it works like that within <laughs> Nintendo. Yeah. Well, that is one of the easier ways to get over there is okay. to get a job with an American company who will send you over there to their office. Cause then, you know, you're not really like there cause you're going to like live in Japan. You're there cause like they sent you there and they can kind of like take care of all your stuff for you. And, and they've agreed up front to sponsor your visa and, and that sort of thing. Hmm. I know people who have worked for Nintendo. <laughs> like, I'm like, Hmm, I'm plotting. <laughs> I would love to work for Nintendo. So they're, they're headquartered in Seattle, which is, I'm not sure if that's somewhere. I'm going to live ever. I hear it's nice. I've never been, but I haven't either. I spent last week in Portland, but I haven't been been to Seattle yet. I haven't been to Portland either. I need to go to both. I am told. I uh, I like Portland a lot. I have I have people trying to get me to move there, which <laughs> you know I don't know if that'll happen, but um, yeah. it's a neat little town. It has a bookstore that is an entire city block. Um, Powell's. That's cool. Yeah, it's um, and and that's just the big one. They have other um quote unquote, smaller ones 
which are still ginormous in other areas I discovered. Um, Cause I thought cool. it was just the one location and it was like, Oh, let's go to pa Someone was like, let's go to Powell's. And I was like, okay. And it was huge. So <laughs> I'm a sucker for a bookstore. Yeah. That's awesome. Sienna, how can people find you online? Sure. Um, I am on Twitter at the handle Sienna time, which I recently changed from something else. And I'm really happy with how that rebranding is going. So good. That's where I'm at. Okay. Sienna time. And you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Uh, the number one way you can get people listening to the show is just tell them, email your friends, shout it out on Twitter. And if you do that, I would appreciate it greatly. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.